Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. And for those of you that tune in only on Mondays because you want to hear Hank Vogler, I've got a treat for you today because Jay Truitt is identifying as Hank Vogler today. That's it. <laughs> what was that? Now yeah. I'm just, I, I have I'm to get a little bit older Hank. and grow a little bit longer beard here somewhere so I can be wiser. <laughs> the, He's, I'm not thinking that it's going to be the beard that makes you <laughs> wiser. So Maybe. we are in one spot for those of it are this. We have a live studio audience. This is going to become addictive, guys. Because yeah. you and I, well, the three of us aren't going to do much. We're just going to be here and field conversations and, and go forward. Jay right. Truett sitting in the middle. That's because he never takes a stand. He doesn't know whether he's left or right. Yeah. <laughs> and on the far left, it's Andrew Ooh. Henderson. We are here at John Wood Community College at the Ag Center. Now we call it, why? I gotta know, John, John Boland is playing Phil Donahue. Would you go over to Mike Tenhouse? Why do we say the John Wood Ag Center at Perry when in fact the address is Bayless? I'm confused. Well, for many years actually, the, uh, we had a post office box in the town of Perry, Illinois. Bingo. And so our address was Perry. And when they eliminated those post boxes like they have in other rural communities, we became part of the rural delivery system, which is Bayless, Illinois. So. See, and, they give, <laughs> and they give me a bad time because I can't ever figure out where I live. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm not alone. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be 100% driven by our live studio audience. Dave Dieter from URSA. And I would ask you when you start speaking just to say your name. Uh, you can use abbreviation if you want. John, he's sitting right over here. If you want to go there, John Boland's running back and forth. It's not like he's got any weight to lose, but he's going to lose some weight on this particular event. All right, Dave, you got a question. You want to, You were wasting good stuff earlier, so we got to put a stop to that. David Dieter from Quincy, Illinois. And remember, the difference between a cowboy and a cowman, a cowboy chases cows, a cowman leads them. Yep. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, who called on him? <laughs> Next question over here. Here's a question for both sides of the pond, uh, for the UK and the United States. What are the current positives in agriculture you guys are uh, excited about? And what are you seeing coming down the road as, as positives you're excited about? Well, I'll be polite and let the gentleman from the UK go first, Andrew. Um, there's a lot to be positive about because um, the farmers actually hold all the aces and uh, they're beginning to work that out. And um, for example, we're going to be doing a big study starting in January, um, looking at how we can uh, facilitate one of Trent's pet projects, which is to show that farming is the solution to so-called uh, carbon sequestration. It's not the problem. So we're going to be working on that with a very um, clever lady that uh, I met when I went to, uh, to China um, with my milk product. And this lady has designed sensors that can do four things. They can, they can do movement, they can do temperature, um, they can actually smell, which is, I, I find that quite interesting. That's artificial intelligence, so you've, you've heard of that. And, um, and, and, and they can also, um, what do I say, movement, smell. Um, you got lost on smell, I, you lost yourself. Yeah, yeah. I did, I did, I did. Yeah. I did. Um, 
temperature moisture, variation. Moisture. Oh, yeah. Now, what's really interesting is that these sensors have a 10-year lifespan. And just to give you a little guess on where this could go and go, it can go on a, in an ear tag on an animal and it can monitor how every part of that, the body of that animal, seeing how it's consuming food. Uh, whether it's hungry, whether it's eating well, whether it's, it's, right. it's getting enough rest, what it's growing like, all those things can be monitored. And also, they can evaluate whether the soil, soil is actually increasing in carbon or decreasing as well. So we're, we're going to be doing a major project, and it's two and a half years it's going to take. But we already know, because of Trent and, and some of the really good stories he's telling me, um, that we're going to find out that farmers are the solution. We already know the answer. We just want to prove it. So that's a really positive thing, because once we do, you know, people like John Kerry have got nowhere to go. They're up the creek without a paddle, as they say. So yeah. that's a really positive thing. Did we come up with that, or did you? I don't know. We, we don't I call think it. that's a I USA think it's, saying. No, I, I think you just yeah. stole a USA saying, Jake. So. Well, as, as we're in Quincy, Illinois. No, we're right? not. We're in Bayless. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, I, uh, Perry. Do you know what the meaning of the word Perry is, folks? Because I thought you were in Perry. It's from so. Scotland. You can just know the answers. <laughs> going to start there. No, Perry's not from Scotland. Oh, okay. okay. Perry is actually uh, short for pear. It's a pear juice. But it's also a very famous juice in, in the southwest of England because a perry is something that we call baby sham. Have any of you ever seen the product baby sham? No. no. It was um, when you tried to impress a young lady, you would always ask them if they'd like a baby sham. It was like a poor man's um, champagne, but it was really, really popular in the 80s and 90s. And they used to have a, a cherry with it. So I just thought I'd mention it's nothing to do with Scotland. It was actually uh, an, an English um, fermented cider, if you like, from a, from a pear, but it tastes very like champagne. So mm. there you are, that's, that was that. So that was my introduction to Perry. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, nothing to do with Scotland. Wrong, wrong again. Yeah, but it's still, it's like an alcohol thing, and that has to do with Scotland. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. You want to answer David's good. question? No, my, I think, so I'm, I'm kind of on a similar point, but I think, uh, um, and to, to give it just a tiny bit of context, so there was a time that people hired somebody like me and me sometimes to do things like change dietary standards in the United States, right? Uh, Somebody paid me a whole bunch of money to make sure that uh, you were allowed to use a certain kind of chemical inside of the organic program, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think finally, um, the, one of the bright things that's happened is, is that government generically has lost a lot of its role as a dietary advisor. People no longer really buy into it. They've changed horses from Mediterranean to non-Mediterranean to this, that, and the other, low-fat, high-fat, oils, uh, omegas, et cetera, right? And I think there is a, a resurgence, and I think this benefits those of us that are in agriculture immensely, that we see that nutrition very simply cure for a lot of the ailments in, in us as human beings. And I do think that uh, it's going to be different than the discussion we had maybe 15 or 20 years ago or 30 years ago when uh, this whole thing about nutraceuticals and that Steve is going to grow nutraceuticals in a soybean field somewhere and that's the way we were going to come about it. I think we actually are just realizing there are some very specific things that the human body needs and if you address that then you start to change everything else that happens inside the human body.
And uh, I think there is, uh, um, the trend is gonna continue to grow for a simpler, uh, a more basic diet um, that we get a little more away from processed foods at some point in the future. And uh, those dietary recommendations in the past that would, you know, that really were developed by Kellogg's or General Mills or, or somebody else, right? And they were really trying to sell the product, make it higher lobbyists and get the dietary standards changed. I think those actually start to move away and we start eating, we start eating simpler foods that are grown probably closer to home as well. And, uh, and uh, uh, it changes the nutrition level of everybody, everybody in the whole society. And I think that it begins to impact our health and, and, uh, and well-being maybe as much as anything that's ever happened. So I'm actually kind of excited about it. I think it's, if we can just keep the system alive long enough to get to that point, I think we're the big winners at the end of the day. We may not be able to grow corn and soybeans and wheat, right, like we have traditionally in the past. We may have to go back to something that our, our great-grandparents did and do a lot of different things. We're in Illinois. And we have Indiana, we have Iowa farmers here, and you're telling them they Is can't there? grow corn? Yeah. You might as well tell them, just quit now. <laughs> Maybe not number two yellow corn, right? Maybe what we're going to have to do is grow something else, right? And, and if we get two more questions like this, the show will be over because yep. we've already filled this block. That's it. I'm just going to say quickly, and for the radio audience that wasn't with us, Jim Ferguson's here also from Scotland. We pick on him from time to time. But he walked through a list of people that are tyrants of the world trying to control our lives, which he included Joe Biden, which I would do the same, and I would include many people who've been in public offices for a long time. And I'm saying one of the great optimisms that I have is that we finally see them exposing themselves for who they are. Yeah. For yeah. 24 years, I've been trying to get people to show up and say the farmer is the solution and we haven't recognized yeah. the problem. Now we see the problem because we're, we have a public that believes that the cow is a contributor to climate change. That's a great thing because the people who own cows are now saying, wait a minute, this is not true. Here's what the cow does to improve the environment. Here's what ethanol does to improve our independence on foreign lands for right. oil and all these other things. We now have our back against the wall. And so the great thing about this story is that we finally recognize, and I disagree with Jim, or no, nobody, no, it was Jay, not Jim, that it's too late. It's not too late. Why is it not too late? The truth is on our side. It's just upon us to tell the truth. we got to go to a break. The National Western coming up January 6th through the 21st. Get more details about all the activities, including the bread female sale the first weekend of January at nationalwestern.com. We're back with more Roll Route from Bayless, Illinois. Not to be confused with Drunken Perry after this. <laughs> Welcome back, Roll Route, Trent Luce, alongside, literally, I say that every day, alongside yeah. Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson. I'm literally alongside, and on the other side of me, Stacey Bowman. Uh, David Dieter, you need to stand back up. You need to answer your own question before we move on to the next question. John, he needs a microphone. <laughs> Don't let him hand, no, no, no. Take the microphone away from him. You hold it to him. David will run the rest of the show. <laughs> I, I didn't watch Phil <laughs> What's the answer to your own question? So far, I believe that um, I know it's not mainstream yet, but the regenerative thing is slowly catching on. Yeah. You know, am I 100% on the on the, some of the stuff that's doing regenerative? No, but 
least I, I think it's a good start to go to where we need to be in the long run. And there are a lot of positives to it. You know, maybe, you know, not everyone is able to run livestock on their operations. You know, maybe they are just a, a crop or, you know, crop operation only. You know, if you're able to run livestock only, you know, great. Uh, if you can't, you know, make it work. Uh, there are those that say, you know, the only way to really make regenerative work is to have livestock on it. But, you know, there are those that can't make that happen. So yeah. let's make, what, make work what we can and keep going from there. So I fully recognize where I'm at, Mike Tenhouse. If you want to step out, that's fine. But it, it, this is an exception. And we're here for a reason because John Wood remains committed to what's important hands-on. Right. Yesterday, I'm not going to tell you where this guy's from, but I was with a researcher in Turtle Lake, North Dakota, who's been in the university research system for 30 years. And he got fired at his last position in land-grant university because he believed in replicative research. They got a new president at this particular institution and the president said, we're not going to go forward with replicative research. We're going to go forward with regenerative agriculture. Mike, how do you have regenerative agriculture without research? It just flies in the face. So my point is that every land-grant institution, I don't care, Mike, if you're from Iowa State, I don't care if it's Purdue or if it's the University of Illinois or Illinois State, Steve, whatever land-grant you want to talk about, Illinois, Illinois State is not a land grant, maybe, but still, it's taxpayer funded. We're allowing this to happen in our institutions of higher learning. We have got to get loud about that and show up with these board of trustees and say, no, not on my watch. You guys want to comment on that? And then I'm coming to another question. Well, my, I mean, my only quick point literally is just that we kind of changed what science is about, right? I mean, and what is really determined to be science. And it, at one point, there was... Uh, there was literally a definition of the process that you went through to come to a scientific uh, observation at the end of the day. But it had, there had to be some observable and repeatable, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we kind of translated over into a theoretical world of science. And that changed a lot of different things in a lot of different places, right? We have a climate discussion in the world that is really a theoretical discussion because we are, we're trying to evaluate it and come up with opinions based on a moving target that moves literally every single millisecond of the day. It's a changing environment. And I, I appreciate that's really difficult for the people involved, but it's really, it's kind of like, uh, uh, I describe it as trying to identify the height of a, of a fence post while you're driving at 100 miles an hour past it, right? And, and observe exactly what is happening beside you when the reality is you don't have a choice but to keep looking ahead anyway and you can't just stop. Uh, and so um, we, we saw that happen during COVID. We saw that happen uh, on climate. We've seen it happen on climate for now for about 20 years um, that we're trying to make absolutes and absolute opinions about things and we claim that to be science, but we don't use a scientific method to actually do, do that. And so we're living in a world of theoretical observation or theoretical beliefs. We get really committed to them because, well, you know, the Republicans said this and the Democrats said that, which neither one of which are scientists, right? And then we place that same emphasis in the universities and academia has kind of fallen into that same trap. 
So, uh, you again, mean you didn't study poli science when you went to school? I didn't, yeah. right? And and truthfully, yeah. when I ran when I ran one of the best lobby shops in Washington D.C., the first rule of thumb was we don't hire anybody that's a political scientist. We yeah. never did. We hired farm kids that had calluses on their fingers. So I'm looking for a hand on who's going to come with the next comment. You don't need to ask a question. You can just make a comment. But for those that may not know, Andrew is actually a ruminant nutritionist himself. Yeah. That's what he does on, a for a day job. His pay on roll route's not that good. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pat on the back yeah. occasionally. Okay. So yeah. did you want to weigh in on that from a science standpoint, Andrew? Or I, Listen, yesterday... Myself and Jim sat with, uh, you know that I have a cousin that sings, and he sat and told us that Trent Luce changed his life because he made him eat meat again. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happened, didn't it? And I nearly fell off my chair, actually, because I forgot that he'd changed back. But he went, he had a bad set of bloods, and he was told that maybe his, his twinkly fingers might just about benefit from a more balanced diet. And ever since he's right. done that, he... Um, he is uh, still as nifty around that piano as he's ever been. And, and I think he's telling people that, and we should be telling people that all the time because the bovine fecal matter that we are hearing all over the world needs stopping. If I come back, if there was reincarnation or is reincarnation, and I don't want to get into a debate about this, but I- There the, is I, not reincarnation. Uh, 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 right if now. there was, if there was, oh, sorry, God. Um, um, <laughs> I was, um, I, <laughs> what I'm saying is, if, 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 I, if I did come back, do you know what I want to be? I'd want to be a scientist predicting something that was going to happen in three year, 300 years' time. Because you can get paid a hell of a lot of money and be 100% wrong. Yeah. Like Simple. Or you, could, or you could just be a weatherman. Yeah, I could yeah. be a weatherman, yeah. Is Next in here? comment, question. Jim, you can play here, up here. Oh, hey, real quick. See what we, I told you? You don't let him have the microphone. Yeah. He's, he's right. the only one who's asked any questions. Real quick, if we don't have repeatable sound science to prove, like whether it's re, uh, regenerative agriculture, whatever, to prove that it works, you won't get the average farmer to, to go with it. So, thank good you, point. Can I Amen. have it back? All right, John. John, you got a fellow Indiana up here. Okay. Making his way. See, John's getting some miles, and you got your Fitbit on, John. Get you around, John. John Ref at Lagrange, Indiana. Um, the latest news I've seen now is we sell a lot of freezer beef, but we also have a uh, Harvard study that got paid for now that is telling us that red meat is causing diabetes. Yeah. And we we fight one thing, and then we have another. And it just seems like no matter what we do to, to push our good products, we get shoved down by the, the name brand colleges that are getting paid to make these studies the way they want them. Well, it was actually referenced already with the Kellogg brothers. Mm -hmm. If you know the history of Ellen White and the Kellogg family and the movement in the 19, late 1800s to remove bacon and eggs from the breakfast, Right. and move it over to cereals, you know, carbs, which we formulate pig diets to make pigs fat with, we're now going to say you should eat more fats and carbs for breakfast, not fats, more carbs for breakfast, the same exact thing that we make pigs fat with. You look at the, the history during World War II, we take the skim milk, the skim milk to make pigs, pigs fat, fat, 
because we had a high demand for lard. Not whole milk. Whole milk makes you lean. Skim milk makes you fat. And yet, look at what people drink in the grocery store. That's what's caused it. Skim milk. I'll kill her. Yeah. I'll kill her. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> yep. Whole milk will make you look like this, Andrew. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, it's back to my point, though. I, I mean, I wouldn't... I wouldn't have believed this until I actually participated in it, right? I was a part of the process. Um, and, and luckily, I happened to uh, work for an organization at the time that just refused to fall into the trap of, of making those recommendations purely on what served our interests best. And that's the honest to goodness truth. We had a nutritionist, a lady named Mary Young, um, that held our feet to the fire that said, hey, listen, and, and I was the lobbyist for the cattlemen when the Atkins diet came around, right? And we had producer after producer would call us, say, hey, why aren't you guys making big hay out of this? We can sell lots of beef, et cetera, et cetera. And Mary would say, because it's not the right thing to do. She was willing to be pure about what it was that, it, that we were supposed to be doing, that you need to have a lot of variety in your diet. You need to consume a lot of things. Human beings do need nutrient-dense products, and we won that battle, right? Us and pork, uh, I never recommend eating chicken. That's a whole different discussion uh, that we can talk <laughs> about later, but I'm from a cattle family, right? And uh, uh, bacon is best on a burger. But- um, I gotta wrap it up. Are you no. gonna say chicken is foul? Yeah. Is that what you're gonna chicken say? Chicken is yeah. foul. Because we that's you just wanted to get to that break. Speaking of Indiana, Apache sprayers and the technology to keep pests in your field under control are made in Indiana, as a matter of fact. You can find more information about the Apache sprayer technology, innovation, and service on the web at simpsonfarm.com, simpsonfarm.com, or partner in crime, highplainsapache.com, with stores in Mandan and Fargo, just around the corner from Perry, Illinois. We'll take a break. <laughs> we'll be back once again, simpsonfarm.com. We'll be back with the second half of Roll Route after this. He's such a professional. Welcome back. We're all route, Trent Lewis, into the second half of the program. Where were we? We got well, we got lost in eliminating meat from no, the diet. No, but I mean the the point being that I I know for a fact that inside of our system that we manipulate that based on people's individual political interests. I do think nationwide. I can't speak to the whole world, but nationwide you're beginning to see people all over that sit down with their nutritionist and have a different discussion. Don't talk to your doctor about nutrition. They don't actually understand it. They just repeat something that, ha that they've been taught in school and it may be 25 years old. But you can find really great nutritionists that'll be really honest with you about what you should consume. And almost, if you ever find one that says something like, uh, eat more stuff out of a box, then you know what, dismiss that. Um, they, they probably have an advertisement on their back just like I used to. So just literally, uh, uh, you, you can see the transition taking place and, and that information is out there, right? But just like everything else that we, we talk about all the time, stop, stop counting on people that get paid to tell you something to tell you the, the absolute answer. You, you can find people, I'll be honest with you, you can hire me as your lobbyist and I'll tell you the absolute answer, right? I'm perfectly fine doing that. But if you think that I'm gonna uh, 
uh, that the, the average John Doe that did what I did for all those years is ever going to bash their own product or actually tell you what's wrong with their own, their own industry. It's not going to happen. Same thing applies to government agencies that have an inherent goal to, 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 to keep their own jobs as well. Those spokespeople, um, consider them all the same. Andrew? No, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what the next question is. To be honest. Yep. I mean, Craig, I like the question. Craig Robinson's going to have a next question. Yeah, uh, yeah you're going to stand up. <laughs> He's done. You don't have to be a public speaker. I'm going to brag on you a bit. All right. Anybody else? Somebody else is going to, or I'm going to pick you. Michael? I see Michael's all bouncing up back here. Jake, probably, or Mike Bauma. I'm from Seymour, Iowa. Third generation butcher. One generation critical care paramedic. Kind of went both ends of the spectrum. Anyway, what I've been noticing, it's more for Jake. Are there any lobbyists? in any state organizations working to help small regional packers get set up again. It's hard to buy. I mean, you can go direct, Yeah. but if you go, if the people that are buying from the store, they keep, some people are calling me, hey, can you do, can you <coughs> out? Yeah. But when I was working for my father in the 80s, he had nine Packers calling on him. Yeah. Those people are gone. Yeah. Out of business. Are there any lobbyists left that help these smaller people? Yeah, probably not. I mean, honestly, not too many. Well, you have North American meat packers. Yeah, I mean, you, ha you have some trade associations that represent that smaller segment of the industry, and they have some pretty effective folks, right, in, in D.C., not to dismiss them, but anybody outside of that and at the state level generically, I, I'm not really aware, aware of it. How we get something going like that? Um, so let me, let, me, let me offer a different perspective, right? And, and it is literally, do you, want, do you really want um, the federal government to engage in that activity for you? Or no, the state government even? Not the federal government, but there's got to be a way to put these people together that the resources can come yeah. together and utilize what they got. If they have to dip into the government a little bit, which, no, I really don't want, but uh, I was around when Senator Mondale and the Wholesome Meat Act came through. Man, he must be old. Picture. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm great. Oh. But, uh, but Michael, I, I got to bring this up because, like, this product we have right over here, these bacon burgers, they're sitting there getting cold while you guys don't eat them. Uh, two years ago, our cost per pig to process those and have them retail ready, USDA inspected, was roughly 250 to $300, depending on how much curing we did. There's a third of those bacon burgers are cured. I'm just using an example. That has doubled my cost has doubled from that plant in two years. But you know what the driving cost incre increase is? From the inspection fees. It is an inspection fees, which is what I would think myself. Labor. Yeah. There is not a single plant operating today that can keep a reliable labor force coming to work. And it's a major issue. And I don't know what the answer to that one is. I don't we either because 
I dabble a little bit yet out of my house. <laughs> uh, and they said, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? I said, I can do it for you. Hey, can you butcher beef on the yard for me? Well, I can, but I don't know that my back will take it right now. But I can sure teach you how to do it. Yeah. Or I can assist you in how to do it. Right. However, you have to have something that you can, if you if you want to market it a little bit, or I, I've got people call me weekly. I says I can steer you on to producers that can do it, or raise your own. But nobody. Uh, they said we want some of the old stuff yeah. that we used to get. Well, let me tell you why your your discussion is very important, and I'm going to pick on Andrew. You can't even butcher your own animal in the UK. Right. And if we don't draw a line in the sand now, we won't be able to butcher our own animal now in the U.S. And that's what we have to prevent and why we must get loud. I, literally, though, it's one of the, I mean, you're asking a question about one of the toughest businesses. One, I mean, one of the things that we do, uh, our, our, our firm actually does, is evaluate business models for people, sometimes for the government, but usually just for entities. Over the last three years, we've evaluated 42 packing plant models, 42. And I gave all 42 of them a fail, right? And I'm not the, I'm not the end all expert on that, but we have some people inside our company that really are, right? That work for- Do you wanna walk uh, why you failed? I, I, exactly what you just identified, right? That cost, that cost benefit analysis and that long-term sustainability, the cost of actually building a facility up front, trying to figure out how to pay for it. So then the, the automatically, and two of the entities that I gave an F to went ahead and built them anyway, right? One of them came to me afterwards and said, hey, can you help me or can you find somebody to help me get that grant money that USDA put together here a couple of years ago, right? And so they did. We also do some venture capital work and we help people put together those funding streams. And at the end of the day, we couldn't give them any more money and we can't apply for another grant. They're caught halfway between success and failure in a plant that really wasn't viable and they're gonna end up failing. I know they, I mean, they know it, I know it, et cetera, and they're gonna start just pouring their own money into it to make up the difference in it. Uh, it's, it's a tough it's a deal. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do, th I mean, it's just, it's a tough deal. I can tell Andrew is fonching with something. No, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of a, something that's <laughs> happening to me uh, um, in Cheshire right at this minute, and it's, it's a, uh, it's something around this situation. And I'll tell you what it is. You know, I was telling you before about we need to watch these globalists. Well, as many of you know, Holland is the biggest processor of, of, uh, of calf meat in the whole of Europe. Yeah. And they've developed fantastic products that go to Poland, they go to Italy, they go to Spain. Um, and they have cornered that market. And it's a traditional market as well. It's a, it's a market for, uh, a, a grain-fed young calf and so the globalists have decided well we've got to stop that so it was announced I think it's two weeks ago now that no live calf can ever go to Holland now from the 1st of January 2025 and um, I'm, I'm I'm just thinking about what you said and I'm going to tell you what's happening here because I think this is a really good story so the Dutch have come over to us 
and I'm, in, I'm involved in this, I can t tell you personally involved in this, and they've said, you know what? You know what we could do here? We normally buy cars from Ireland or um, over from <coughs> other European countries. What we'll do is we'll rear them in the UK and we'll slaughter them in the UK and then we'll process them in Holland. And I'm really, really, really pleased to hear that, you know? Because, and, I, and I'm thinking about what you said. Rebecca, and, can we bleep that out? <laughs> I, I didn't say anything. I just, I just gave a little What gesture. do you think that is? It's a camera. Oh, yeah. it, Peace, that means peace in the UK. Okay, thank you. So you can edit it, can't you? you know. So anyway, so I listened to what you said, and it sounds like there's a demand for what you're asking. And well, so, yeah. Dutch brothers of mine, I'm of the head. <laughs> okay, well, and well, it, it says that Dutch and Germany around here is a very big influence, and I can see that in the Dutch barns, can't we, Jim? Right. We've seen them. And so I, I'm, I'm just saying there must be a solution to get around the lobbyists and the yeah. people that, but you have to maybe take the time that Jay, Jay has said to find that solution. But um, it sounds like you've got a really a big opportunity there because there's a the demand. Once you've got a demand, that's halfway there. Well, part of me is, part of me says that in order to build the plant right now, mm -hmm. I just talked to someone that just put up a, a small locker plant, 258000 and that was before one head of beef went through yeah. or a hog or whatever. And I thought, Man, that's a lot of years to recoup two hundred and fifty-eight thousand. Yeah, it's because really the profit margin in it right now isn't that high. Yeah, and it's really a lot more than two hundred fifty-eight thousand. You know that by the time you actually deal with whatever inventory, if you're going to do anything to a consumer on the outside, or you're going to hold anything, that's your operating capital actually equals with a facility at some point. So you're not talking about two hundred fifty thousand. You got to come up with about a half a million. <laughs> that you got to try to figure out how you pay off, <laughs> well, right? Before you ever turn that first nickel that goes back in your pocket really clear. And a lot of people don't have the money to dump $1,000 into a beef or, yeah. you know. Which is but why really, you can get a $20 raffle ticket right over <laughs> here yeah. and win $1,000 $1, worth of certified Piedmontese beef, which is guaranteed to be the most tender beef that you're going to consume because every single animal is tested for the myostatin gene. The myostatin gene is what's responsible for tenderness. I'm not poo-pooing marbling. Marbling is important. But when it comes to tenderness, if you're seeking a satisfied eating experience every single time, Certified Piedmontese will get that. And just for a one-time cause, for you folks here in the audience, you can get a $20 coupon and have the chance at winning $1,000 worth of beef, which is delivered to you at no charge. So you can't beat that. And that announcement will be made next Friday in Broken Bow, Nebraska. We have one segment of a rural route left, and we'll do it right after this. Welcome back, Roll Route, Trent Luce, alongside Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson. Do not let her have the microphone. Hold the microphone. But it's her. She owns it. Rebecca Cunningham, Wimberley, Texas. And uh, I do just have to give a plug. This woman is absolutely amazing. She will make us even sound good. She ran with us on the Arise USA tour. And uh, what she can accomplish 
take six people everywhere else. Rebecca, you have a question or comment? I saw that uh, Congressman Thomas Massey from, oh gosh, I can't listen to me, I'm sorry. Um, Congressman, Congressman Massey had amendments he was trying to add on to whatever the latest thing is over there. Right. Uh, and part of it had to do with being able to do regional butchering stuff. Is that something that would be viable if enough people got behind it and helped push it through? Yeah, I, I, so it'd be, I'd like to, I, I read his bill, right, looked at it. It'd be interesting to see what that would look like if you really define it. If you allow USDA to define that legislation, which uh, it was kind of the reason I told people not to support it, had nothing to do with its real intent, is that it didn't go far enough to actually say what it is that you're gonna do. The days of us allowing some bureaucrat in government to actually write all the details to a law that had good intentions to start with, do you think they're gonna repeat that any differently than they did otherwise? I mean, do you think they're gonna come up with a different product? They're lazier than I am, right? And I mean, and it's no offense to them, but that's, we've trained them to be that way at this point. So, nah, I, I mean, there's the intent. And, and it doesn't address that labor issue. Yeah, the intent. His, his the, deal does not yeah. address the labor issue. So listen, there's another side to this equation. This is one of the things, though, too, and, and those of us that are in the food business, right, let's be honest. We also, though, if we're not careful, we catch ourselves cheating the system a little bit as well in the fact that what are we going to skimp in order to save on the labor? right so what are we going to do right we all do it i mean i grew up on an operation we had you know 1200 mother cows and my dad had he and i those are um those are the people that are involved you know and so you skimp a lot you learn to cheat the rules at every point you know and figure out how two people can actually calve 1200 mother cows at a time that's a that's a you're, you're not going to see every cow every day, right? We're not going to follow every single like industry standard or, or et cetera. And so I, my whole thing on all of this, right, is to literally us, we, we have to rethink the way we engage government in the first place. It's almost never a better answer. And sometimes no is a better answer than yes, if the yes comes from them because they're going to define based on what their perspective of what you should do, not on your perspective of what's actually in your best interest or even in consumers' best interest. And uh, if they don't get paid or they can't find the funding for it, they're just not going to do it. Why else would we care if there's a government shutdown, right? Seriously, why would we care if it wasn't just about money at the end of the day? Lee. First, I want to say, Jay. Um, yeah, microphone, please. I've been rethinking how to engage government a lot lately. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Lee Strimster for Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Um, the one thing I'm going to say is thank you, Trent, Jay, Andrew, <coughs> Jim, everyone on Rural Route, Hank Vogler, he's my favorite. <laughs> you guys. Don't take keep, it personally, Andrew. <laughs> keep, keep doing the good work because without you fighting for us, the future, the Grace and Ted Rose, and more importantly to my heart, my son Colton Strimstifer, we ain't got a prayer chance in hell. Thank right. you for changing so, that word. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lee. Yeah, thanks. You're right. 
Well, that should have been the final speech of the show, but we still have six minutes left, guys. So he can say Stacey, again if he wants. Where are you at? Are you gonna be? You gotta, John Stacy's gonna have to weigh in over here. I met Frank and Stacy Bowman at a very emotional time in the state of Illinois. The state of Illinois was trying to ban horse harvesting, and these two were advocates along with myself. And we had a mutual friend, Chick Bishop, that brought us together, and we've been dear friends since. So, Stacy, weigh up, weigh in. Okay, um, I guess my question is, for all of us that have farms and we have children and not grandchildren yet, but I know it weighs on everybody's minds out here. Are we going to be able to keep this farm in the family? Are our kids going to be able to afford it with, with our politicians the way they are and land taxes the way they are and everything is out of control? It's a real scare, you know, to come up with that money every year to keep it going. Um, I know we all feel that way and yeah. really frustrated especially in the state that we're in that used to be a wonderful state and um you know it's it's sad you've got you know these realtor companies that are putting you know business cards for hunting ground or whatever yeah. and it's just it's it's very scary out there and we all worry and we just have to be positive i i don't i don't want to be run out of my um farm i'm not going to go anywhere so we just have to keep fighting and i think it is a local level and we haven't really talked about that but it you know we gotta we have to be able to get the voice out there and let people know that we are you know we're we care about them too i mean they might not live on a farm but we care about our community and we want to support our community and not everybody can come up with that half a half a you know, hanging weight of beef, and they can't buy in bulk. I wish everybody could and had a freezer, right. but um, we need to start thinking about how we can get more people to be aware of us and that we are their friends, not foe. Yeah, leave it to Stacy to make the the salient point, though. I the big lie that we have in agriculture is that even for, there's a lot of gray-headed people in the room, right? And people that have been at this for a long time, and a lot of you probably have every deed in a drawer somewhere in your house. Do you own that farm, right? Do you really own that farm? Not if you sign a conservation easement. Well, more importantly, do you owe property taxes on an annual basis, do you own that farm? Well, if you live in the state of Missouri or in some of the other states that, that are in the area, that's one amount of property taxes you have involved. If you live in a state like Nebraska, uh, property taxes are feel a lot like somebody drawing a knife slowly across your throat every year, and and, and again, it's the, those pro we look we looked. Listen, we've looked to, to think that somebody at the state and local level was going to actually take care of that, and that they weren't going to do something that would be abusive or or invasive to us all the way during the process. And you got a lot of promises that, that were delivered in the meantime. And the reality is, is that you just didn't get what you paid for. So what are we going to do about that? And again, you can be really mad about what happens in Washington, D.C., but the honest to goodness truth is most of that's pretty reflective of your neighbors. Your congressman and you are probably more alike than what you, you want to admit. 
And so you got to, you have to engage where you can engage to make a difference. And it may be that the first person you need to lobby is not somebody that is in another city, but somebody that sits beside you in church or somebody that you have coffee with on a regular basis and make them be realistic about things. Stop listening to uh, the media perspective. There's great trade associations, et cetera, et cetera, but even they get caught up in this hype. I've, again, I've been a part of it. I understand how it works, how it happens. But we're just not being honest about the environment that we're in. And uh, Andrew, I, I, Jay, I agree with you 100%. We need the, the real people that we need to influence are our neighbors. Yeah. The people that in a minute, we all know that we're at the basics when we went to school and you do, you get taught about, you know, buying and selling goods is the basics are that farmers are um, a, a primary industry. And very, very soon, the general public, I believe, are going to see that so obviously that they are gonna to need to work and you're gonna to need to work with the general public in every corner of the world to get back to where we need to be. And so we just have to be get, start talking about that and make sure that we protect our local community because that's what we are talking about here. And it starts with the farmer, period. I know that um, I, I hear the word posse. It's a, obviously it's a, an American word uh, and I think it's the right word. We need to form as an industry a posse and we need to say, right, enough. And we need to get the public to support the farmers because they are the most important people in anybody's life, the people that produce the food. And we have to be very loud about it and we have to work together. And that's, that's the only way forward. And being quiet is no use. We've got to shout and shout until they hear the voice. I would, I would just say this too, right, that uh, we tend to actually tell people it, uh, across the table from us that they're idiots. And that's almost never the right way to win that conversation. Almost. Almost never. They may be idiots, but the truth is we need to be patient enough to have that conversation where you sit and listen to them and listen all the way through them and then walk them through the other side of the conversation. Because if you're talking about the local level and you're talking, let's take this, this particular case an example over what you're paying in, in property taxes in some place where they're trying to rape and pillage um, your operation. And we're doing that so that we can educate kids. Well, how, you're, how are you against that? Maybe we're not doing a very good job of that necessarily every place, but a lot of places we are. We're doing a great job of it in some places. So how, how do you actually go against that? What are we gonna do? First responders get funded in that same, that same place, right? We all, everybody in this room would agree that we need those people, you know, especially if you're laying on the floor having a heart attack at home, you actually want a first responder to show up as quickly as, as they can get there, right? I don't want them driving a 1968 Ford ambulance. <laughs> you know, I want them in a jet right there. <laughs> and so- Actually, the 1968 ambulance doesn't have a computer in the engine to get you there, but more efficiently, I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah. Wait a minute, so working as a lobbyist, you've got a runway? Yeah. Wow. You don't? No, sorry. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I have one. Carry on. Carry on. Uh, just a chopper. Right. I don't have a runway. Just well, a chopper. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're not going to carry on much longer. We have a minute, 15 seconds. I want to say thank you to everyone here at John Wood Ag Center. Near Perry, address mm -hmm. Bayless. We will be uh, in Quincy later on. But there's one component that I have to share because it was not long ago that Illinois 
was the number one producer of electricity from coal-fired power plants, and Illinois is just about to be without one single coal-fired power plant. We cannot continue to produce food, store food, and do what we've done and have enjoy our lifestyle if we do not maintain coal as an energy source. And that, at the end of the day, is something that each one of us need to fight. Every time there's a wind turbine go up, your reliable electricity has disappeared. And so that's a fight that we need to really, and I'm including solar in that as well. And I was in a coal-fired power plant last week for four hours, and what is happening there is an atrocity. So I would encourage you to investigate that. I also want to remind you that healthy living is up to you. I take a nitric oxide supplement every day called NO2U.com. In fact, Kathy Blair was going to have some, but I forgot to bring some along with me. So anyway, go on the website, get Dr. Nathan Bryan's expertise in cardiovascular health at NO2U.com. Put trend as a coupon code, JTRIT. You pay no shipping. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connecting food producers to food consumers. For Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson, and everybody here at this event, including Dwight Mowdy, we remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route.